Hey everyone, just coming up top here to tell you this will be the last episode before I take some time off. I gotta prepare for the banjo weekend, so I gotta take some time off to do that. So I gotta prepare my materials for the classes, and uh, also we're doing a live episode of the banjo chat up there. So I can't mess it up, I gotta roll it out right, I gotta take some time away from this and get that going. Um, also, the banjo chat uh, at the, the banjo weekend will be the last episode of the season. So, looking forward to it, and thank you all for understanding. Here we go into this episode. Welcome. I'm glad you're here. You're listening to Banjo Chat, where I bring in amazing banjo players and chat with them about their life, their music, their stories, their pitfalls, inspirations, and advice. So, join us on this journey into Banjo Chat. Hello, hello. I'm Hilary Hawk, and you are listening to the Banjo Chat. How are you doing out there? Are you taking care of yourself? Are you getting the meditation in? The deep breathing, I'm always trying, but this musician lifestyle makes it hard. (laughs) I was out late last night at the Great Mona's Bluegrass Jam in the East Village, Avenue B. Some of my favorite guys out there, we played late, and you know, I don't really take the subway late anymore. It's, you know, it's just, I don't know, for various reasons, I don't take the subway home, like very late at night, so... I waited for someone to share an Uber with, and I got home maybe like at 3 a.m. It's like insane. Phew. You know, it's just like the reality of of musician lifestyle these days. But anyway, I wanted to give a little shout out that I will be up at the Ashokan Center November 17th through the 19th. It's the first ever banjo weekend. So, you know, it's a banjo podcast. I thought you might be interested. It's the first ever banjo weekend up there. If you want to learn some five-string stuff... I'll be there with Tony Trishka, Cedric Watson, and Joe Newberry, and Scott Hopkins. It's, uh, you should come out. It's going to be great. Um, you know, Ashokan's kind of a magical place, and it's not super expensive. You know, it has to cost something. I mean, you know, it's uh, great teachers and, you know, jamming and workshops, but, um, you know, it's uh, affordable. So, yeah, come and check that out, uh, the Ashokan Center Banjo Weekend. But anyway, this week I've been prepping, listening to music, and having a blast uh, listening to my guest's music this week. If you've only ever been a five-string banjo listener and have never experienced four-string banjo music, let me be the tastemaker today uh, because I'm bringing in a very special guest for me because she's also one of the first banjo players that really inspired me as a performer when I was just starting out around 21 or 22 years old. She's a banjoist, a vocalist, a band leader. Um, I think she has about seven albums out under her own name. Uh, she was inducted into the Banjo Hall of Fame, among many other awards. Uh, she, she was a member of Woody Allen's jazz band, and she has a very clear idea of what she wants to play on, on the banjo. And, and for so many reasons, I wanted to have her here today with us. Welcome to the Banjo Chat, Cynthia Sayer. Well, thank you so much. I am absolutely delighted to have been invited. <laughs> Yay! Um, so, I, are you living in New Jersey? I, I wasn't sure exactly where you are right now. Oh, I, no, I've lived in uh, Manhattan for many years. I grew up in New oh Jersey, but I've been in New York since I was about 20, 21. Yeah, I just wasn't sure, because like, to me, you seem like a New Yorker. And then I was like, are you in New Jersey? I don't know, you know? Oh, it's a good place to grow. You know, New Jersey, the land of banjos. That's 
Or I, oh, that's a, a joke, needless to say. Yeah, that's what people say about New York, but there's so many great banjo players that came out of New York. Yes, so, I know. So. It's funny that how, how true that is. And, you know, Hillary, you just said in this introduction, I'm, I'm surprised and uh, flattered, but also surprised that you uh, knew of me when you were starting because I am so used to our four string and five string worlds being much more separated than that and now I would say they are less so by far than they used to be but um, that makes you um, I think sort of unusual to be more uh, broad-minded and the same thing in the four string banjo community um, I actually think oh no We'll probably have to edit this out, but I actually think five-string players are are more adventuresome than four-string players because they tend to stick stick to their own uh, styles and and community. Uh, so uh, maybe it's less surprising from your end than it is from my end. I'm not sure, but in any event, that was nice to hear. I don't I don't really know. Like I don't know if I uh, I don't know if I'm like different. Yeah, because. I just feel like everybody, like, yeah, it's a five string or four string. I feel like we don't mix much. Yeah, I think it's the same. I, I think it's gotten a little better over time, but for mm. years, it was really like, I mean, it, we were in such different planets. The only thing that we had in common was that we play an instrument called a banjo. And then, mm -hmm. um, you know, I that was I shouldn't say that that's how it was that's how I experienced it that's probably uh, way more accurate uh, maybe there are many other people who are more crossover adventuresome than I was and then as I started learning more and it all started when I was invited as an experiment to uh, teach at one of the banjo camps and Tony Trishka was there and these other people were there and I was like the weird four string player and oh my God, I heard the most amazing playing there. And I had, of course, heard wonderful, I mean, brilliant five-string players, you know, all along. But I had never heard um, everybody so much talent in one spot because I had never been to like a, a banjo convention with five-string or a bluegrass uh, festival or something like that. And especially with the old-time style, I it really opened my eyes, opened my ears and my heart to a whole bigger world than I had known up till then. That's it. That was the, uh, that was the spot. That's where I saw you. That's where I saw you. Were you I there? I think so. I was there and it, it blew my mind. So you were, and I was, and I was like this experiment and they had me give a class and we were like, do you think anybody will show up? Because <laughs> we had no Did idea. Did people show up? Oh yeah, I it was completely full. And it, and it was such a, it was such a wonderful, um, uh, it was a, it was a wonderful turning point for me in terms of just expanding my mind, you know, which we all should be doing anyway, and which I always thought myself to be very big and open but apparently I wasn't open enough because here I am on my own instrument learning so much with all these wonderful players there it was really great I, I just loved it but yeah no I, you were a standout at that camp to me like I remember just watching your energy on stage and um yeah your stage presence and the way you like handled the banjo like we we never really talk about that like how do you handle the how do you stand with the banjo? how do you like perform and sing with a banjo and you you just nailed it and like 
and you're playing it was so virtuosic and i just thought it, it kind of blew everybody away like i was yeah and you're playing along with um another woman cindy cash dollar was also a really big inspiration to me like when i was first starting to play or play out like i was already playing but i didn't really perform much and you and her both like inspired me to kind of like you know just do it with all your heart you know just put it all out there well, thank you so much. I finally met, you know, Cindy Cashdollar and I have been on these kind of uh, parallel, well, goodness, let me start that again. Um, I'd known about Cindy Cashdollar for many years and just really more because of the genres that we play and we had never crossed paths. And I fi we finally met at a Lincoln Center uh, concert oh. and I went back and introduced myself and 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 I said gee you know we've known each other of each other all these years or I knew of her I don't want to I don't actually remember if she knew me or not um, and it was how wonderful it was to to finally meet so um, that was just not not too long ago like within the past three, oh, wow. three years something like that mm, mm. well have you ever tried this is like a funny question up top. Have you ever tried other styles? Like, uh, do you find that you like kind of get obsessed with one style or like jazz or, uh, you know, whatever style you're working on? And uh, do you get obsessed or do you do you like to learn other styles of music? Um, well, my repertoire tends to be pretty eclectic and uh, jazz is my is the thing that attracted me. Um, and there's a certain player that actually attracted me to, to want to play jazz on the banjo. Uh, but in almost all of the programs that I do, I, I, I go through an eclectic range of styles. And, and I do that on purpose because, you know, I mean, maybe you've experienced this, but for years it was so hard to fight these very narrow banjo stereotypes. And, um, and for... I don't even remember when I first started doing it, but um, I'll play in a program. I try to show the many sides of the instrument, and that's sort of a given. But also, I like to do. I I like to vary things. I do tangos. I do classical music. I do um, well, kind of uh, my interpretation of rock tunes, <laughs> and I don't know. I do whatever <laughs> I like. I I don't. I'm not. I feel completely unrestricted by the genre, which I is definitely my um, platform. My basic vantage mm -hmm. point is from early jazz, from the hot jazz, early swing era. But I apply it in any way I feel like it. And I like playing all kinds of music. And I have through all these years. Um, and uh, and I have no intention of stopping. I recently, for the first time, did a charo piece because there's a, in my Joro, mm. Joyride band, uh, there's a young musician who's just a brilliant player, Ben Rosenblum, and he um, he that's one of the numerous genres in which he specializes. So we're like, let's do that in a concert, and we we did that in. Uh, Lincoln Center, and I'm sure we'll be doing some more. So I love all of that. I don't have barriers. But there is, as you know, 
there's a thing where you get established as a certain thing. And I love early jazz. I find it hot, swinging, and wonderful, and kind of earthy. I love that kind of thing about it. So that remains my center. And then I kind mm -hmm. of go off from there. Yeah. No, I love that. And, and listening to the Joyride album, your album Joyride, I felt like that's exactly what it it is. It's like it's, it's aptly named because you're kind of taking a ride through different styles. Like I had that thought when I was listening to it. It's like, yeah, I was like, oh, this is great. Like you're kind of moving in different ways. And we'll, we're going to take a listen to a track from that later. So, um, yeah, it was really exciting to hear. But, yeah, establishing yourself in a genre... It, it gives you people know what you're about. It gives you an audience and then they kind of trust you and where you're going to take them on the, on your journeys with your shows and stuff. So yeah, I think that's important. I've, I've learned over the years to avoid um, sort of saying jazz banjo because when mm -hmm. I first started saying that, I mean, people were genuinely puzzled. They had no idea how those two words <laughs> went together. And, and I eventually figured out that, um, I mean, I'll use jazz banjo if I'm playing a jazz festival or if I'm in a jazz concert mm -hmm. or a jazz series or something like that, then I make sure people understand it's not a misbooking you know, I'm supposed to be there, but, um, interesting, <laughs> but That's for the most so part, I avoid it. And I often, when I do concerts, I'll attract people who are just like the banjo and had no idea yep. that this is what they were getting. And it, and I love opening their minds to a whole other, whole other aspect of the instrument. And it's kind of a personal mission of mine to reintroduce the four-string banjo. It has a, an integral part of American jazz history, and it's mm. basically left out of all history books, and it, it, it's a little less bad now, but for the most part, it's, it's been quite overlooked in jazz, and um, the instrument is far more popular in bluegrass and old time and so on. So it's very understandable that that's what people expect and assume. Uh, so I kind of like it when someone wanders in by accident and goes, oh, this is cool, you know, to show a whole other, a whole other thing. <laughs> yeah, I wonder if this, if that's like a, a United States thing. Like, I wonder if in other countries or when you've traveled to other countries is, is jazz banjo or four string banjo, plectrum banjo, is it, is it more like, uh, are people used to it more than bluegrass banjo in other countries? It's or a little hard just... for me to speak to that since I'm kind of in my jazz bubble when I'm, when I'm touring mm -hmm. to other places. But um, my guess is that it would be pretty separated and that people would still, you know, I think these days in general, there mm -hmm. is more popularity uh, thanks to Rihanna and thanks to Bale Fleck, thanks to, you know, people like that. Uh, there's, a, there's a greater identity um, now that we have some truly 
big banjo stars in, in our contemporary culture, um, and they're five-string players. So I think many people were introduced to the banjo for the first time through players like that, and yeah. have no idea there's a whole banjo family, there's bass banjos, piccolo banjos, all kinds of things, and different, you know, classic banjo, old time, jazz, I mean, you know, that whole world, I mean, they have, you know, they're just enjoying what they're listening to and not necessarily having any reason to go further. So I, yeah, yeah. that's my guess is they probably don't <laughs> No, uh, it's probably not, not that much more aware, but I don't know. Our job is just to make them not hate the banjo after hearing some other people play. <laughs> it's like, banjo, it's like... when you are a banjo player, banjo jokes abound. And, and yes, I, yes. I don't know about you, Hillary, but sometimes oh people gosh. give me jokes and then they're like, oh, I, I don't want to offend you. Do they say that? I go, no, I think they're funny. And, and, you know, after listening to years and years and years and years and years of banjo jokes, I am amazed when I still get plenty of ones I know. that I never heard before. Because <laughs> you would have thought I'd heard every banjo joke on the planet same, by now. Same, same. Um, well, you know, since this is the banjo podcast, I have to ask, what kind of banjo are you playing? And um, do you play, do you have a couple banjos or... Um, I, I play, first of all, I, there are t the most popular kinds of four-string banjo. There are two kinds. One is a tenor banjo, one is a plectrum banjo. And I play the plectrum banjo, which is very much a first cousin of the five-string in that the neck is the same uh, length. We have the same frets, a number of frets and all of that. I do not have that fifth string. And my all whole approach is based on a flat pick, kind of like jazz guitar. So those are our, our similarities. The tenor banjo is the same as, is pitched uh, and tuned like a viola. And it has a shorter neck. And uh, the jazz tenor banjo is 19 frets and um, banjo made its way into uh, traditional Irish music that is tuned a little different. It's a, I don't know how technical you want to get, but that tends to be even a little shorter. That's 17 frets and pitched like a, an octave lower than a mandolin. And there are very different playing styles. In, our four, in the four-string banjo community, um, I think that there is, in the four-string jazz and 1920s, I should, let me put it that way, in the 1920s mentality uh, banjo community, there's, that is another aspect. It's four string banjo, yet there's very, very little crossover. It's just as much of a different world as bluegrass is uh, mm -hmm. for, for us. Um, and again, I think things are changing. Uh, Hopefully the world is finally making, connecting all kinds of dots. Same thing with women. It's, you know, I mean, how many, how many women are, do you know on playing five string? Well, I have a, I have a lot of women in my mind that play banjo, but they definitely don't get the exposure that I think other people do sometimes. But yeah, it's a lot of, a lot of great women doing it. Um, so I'm trying to highlight some people on here, you know, and uh, it's a little bit of a mission with this podcast, too. It's great. I, I really appreciate that. That's I just I just love it that you went to that banjo camp and that you were there. I really did. I really did. And I saw you there. 
and and it's funny we've never we've never talked about I never brought that up to you because I don't I don't know why I guess it was just in my mind and I never had to bring it up but I did want to bring up that the last time we hung out was we played at Rockwood Music Hall we played with Kathy Fink and Marcy Markser we we did like um a celebration of banjo what did we call it i don't even know it was like you came up you with know? the name and it was did about I? it was I a forgot. name for women and it was a and i and i can't remember either i'm sorry to say but it, it was, was like, really fun uh yeah it was some kind of like collaborative we did like a whole night of, of banjos at rockwood music hall stage three i don't know what, i don't know what's happening with rockwood now i i know that Venues are closing. That was an example of, uh, I mean, I certainly never worked with three women mm. banjoists before mm. ever. Um, and that was a, a, that was an example of the kind of, uh, to use an old word, crossover program, you know, yeah. that I really, really loved. It was such a pleasure for me to hear our different worlds all presented as, as a unit. Oh man, yeah, that was really fun. It um, was really fun, yeah. But uh, I did want to just make sure we got the facts here. What is your banjo like? Is there a maker? Like what kind? Like yeah. yeah. Sorry. Yes, I play an ohm banjo, O M E, uh, and uh, for banjo enthusiasts may know that it's the end of an era because the ohm company has been sold. So that is, oh. you know, and I was a proud endorser of Om Banjos. I, you know, for many years and I love the instruments. I, I think they're a Rolls Royce company for instruments. Mm. And uh, I play a plectrum, not a tenor. And mm. when I started, I got the impression that in terms of <clears throat> the four string world, that there were maybe 50% tenors, 50% plectrums. It was pretty even out there. Mm -hmm. There tended to be more tenors in the East Coast, more plectrums on the West Coast. I Somebody explained to me why that would be. I don't know why. I don't remember anymore. But oh. now um, plectrums seem to be fading from consciousness. There are less plectrum banjo players. Uh, and there seems to be an assumption of... Wow. of tenor like if you play four string banjo there's an assumption that it's a tenor banjo and i'm not sure why that is i've certainly added because i've been teaching for years which i love i've added a lot of banjo players out there to the world and i've given my fair share of plectrums out there too who are working and and gigging now but um uh that's the impression i got i get i don't know if it's true and the impression is supported by the fact that uh, some instrument dealers who I know have said that they have a much harder time moving plectrums than tenors. So I imagine that's the reality. So I'm hoping to keep my dear plectrum alive. But for the most part, I just think in terms mm -hmm. of four string and five string. You know, mm -hmm. those are the two main survivors. And then as any banjo history buffs will know, there are also six string banjos, bass banjo, yeah. mandolin banjo, ten, you know, there's all kinds, there's a whole banjo family out there, but the main ones now are five string, tenor and plectrum. And tenor and plectrum mm -hmm. are both four string instruments. And, and all you listening at home, you, you can't see this, but we're on Zoom. I got a six string right here behind me. 
is doing some theater stuff with that. Um, and it's actually really fun. It, it's just tuned like a guitar, but it, you know, it, it's really fun. It's got a different sound and yeah, it's fun. You get to mess around with some stuff on that. So, so. yeah. And you know, uh, the six string was very, um, sort of came into his own by, you know, the historic uh, jazz star John, Johnny St. Cyr uh, in New Orleans, oh, wow. where jazz was born, as I think most of you listeners probably know, um, the guitar players lost their ability to work because it became all about the banjo when, the, when <laughs> jazz became the thing to do. And if you were a guitar player, you, I mean, I suppose you could still work, but if you really wanted to get in on the scene, it had to be banjo, and that was the deal, and everybody knew it, and Johnny St. Cyr, one of the uh, guitarists, uh, one of the New Orleans guitarists said, well, you know, he really didn't feel like learning a, a different tuning, he couldn't be bothered, so he took mm -hmm. a six-string mm -hmm. neck, put it on his banjo, and, uh, and of course, Johnny St. Cyr played with many of the uh, greats, uh, historic greats, and he's most well remembered as being uh, with the great Louis Armstrong, mm. with playing mm. kick-ass, amazing solos. And he was always a six-string banjoist. And so he's the guy who kind of legitimatizes whenever anybody, when in the banjo world, if someone teases someone for bringing in a six-string, well, oh, hey, Johnny St. Cyr did it. He can, they can do it too. <laughs> You're making me so happy. Like this, this is like really awesome info. Well, you know, I, I, um, I did a program called the unexpected journey of jazz banjo in, uh, at Lincoln center's, uh, atrium venue, um, last year. And mm. that was, I tried to highlight the journey of what happened to the banjo. How did it end up as a jazz instrument? Who are some of the feature stars in it? And uh, who made history on four-string banjo? Uh, but a lot more of it was the journey, you know, the banjo's uh, roots as uh, a slave instrument, minstrel shows, mm -hmm. and the whole yeah. trajectory, and, and the misogyny, the racism, the, the whole package. And, and, it, and I did it from my vantage point of how I learned about banjo history and how I didn't understand why all the players were white. I didn't understand why all mm -hmm. the players were, were men, you know, mm -hmm. and like what, what happened here? And by looking at the history, I learned why was the instrument left out of history books? Like, what was that about? There was actually a reason for it. And that all has to do with its, its history. It was a heavily stigmatized instrument Gosh, I was touring internationally for almost 20 years before I ever worked with another woman, professional, full-time professional Insane. woman. Insane. Uh, Insane. Uh, isn't that something? And, and I didn't even know about it. This was in Germany. I walk into this concert hall. I was a guest, and there was a woman bass player. And I was flabbergasted because I, I mean, it was a really big deal because this was not a norm for me. And, of course, today... Gosh, there are zillions of incredible, amazing, top, top talent out there. It is so ordinary today, and it really wasn't. 
not in my early oh. jazz genre in any event uh, before. So times have and, and finally ta- changed positively. Are you talking about just banjo or just in, uh, any musician that was a woman in general, like at that time? Um, I would say women in jazz, which is a phrase I'm sure in you've jazz. heard a lot. And it's certainly yeah. applied to banjo. It applied to my genre yeah. in general. And so if you take the, the stigmatized view of the instrument plus the fact that the genre was basically all male you can imagine what people would sometimes think of me when i would walk in with my this little woman with this banjo as like what's she doing here i mean i remember uh pitching to uh jazz festivals and the promoter not meaning to be mean or the presenter whoever was putting it together saying well but if you're a banjo player why are you pitching this like they said, well, wait, but you're a banjo player, so why are you trying to apply for a jazz festival? What's that have to do with it? And I would say, well, I'm a jazz musician. They go, what? You know, I mean, they people literally didn't know, you know. Yeah. So times have changed. There, at least there's some things out there that have really evolved in a crazy short time. I mean, I'm not mm-hmm. 150, you know, and the dra- the <laughs> dramatic change within. A certain span of time is really remarkable. I would say within yeah. the last 20 years, it's the, the change is so dramatic, it's incredible. And that includes yeah. seeing women on five string, four string, whatever, mm-hmm. you know, and in jazz in general, you know. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. And, and just like that magnitude of, you were saying, like 20 years without seeing many women in your in your field that's the magnitude of that is like pretty daunting it's like wow yeah well i'm glad those days are over (laughs) yeah yeah i mean we still fight we still you know i also didn't understand why everybody was white when every time i looked in any jazz history book or looked at any jazz program all these great historic artists were black i'm like well how come everybody I work with is white? And, you know, there are historic reasons for that, too. And now that yeah. is changing, too. You know, finally, yeah. things are things are getting the beginnings of a proper balance, you know. Well, hey, I wanted to ask, I know you played on some Woody Allen recordings. Were you in Woody Allen's band? And, and uh, can you tell us a little bit about that? Um, I was with Woody Allen's jazz band for a little over 10 years. And um, initially, I was subbing at the infamous Michael's Pub here in New York City uh, when Eddie Davis, who had the banjo chair, was out of town, which sometimes would be for extend. At one point, I was playing it for a year. He was in uh, Germany doing a project. Uh, But I was I was the banjoist and I was, you know, I was a sub. And when he came back to the States, you know, I gave him his chair back. Uh, but uh, then they, Woody had a new band and I was invited to play it on piano. Uh, Eddie's, a, oh, Eddie, wow. sadly, we lost Eddie Davis uh, during COVID, but Eddie was a very fine uh, tenor banjoist and he was the banjoist. And he, he knew I grew up, I played a bunch of instruments, you know, as a kid, I took piano lessons all my life. And he said, well, why don't you come and play piano? I'm like, you know, I played, I took lessons on classical music. I never played jazz on piano. Mm. And he's like, well, give it a try, you know. And um, I sure was thrown in the ocean and had to learn to swim. And I'm sure I was just 
I don't know, embarrassingly bad at first, but I'm very grateful to have had this opportunity and I feel that I became a proficient band pianist and and I realized at first I turned the job down, but I realized I actually was okay because I understood the music and I understood what they mm -hmm. were after, this George Lewis Bunk Johnson New Orleans style, and I understood what they wanted. And then once in a blue moon, not very often, I got to play a little banjo in, in the band also. And I would sub for Eddie if he was out of town. So, and then I left the band. I, you know, I did it for a while and it was time to move on. So they're on tour now, I believe, I think, in Europe. I think oh it's the gosh. first tour since the pandemic. And um, I believe Josh Dunn, a very fine uh, guitarist, banjoist, is in the banjo chair now. And, uh, and on they go. It was a different style than I got to play in New York City in jazz. And for me, it was a real learning opportunity and and i enjoyed it it was also really bizarre to go on tour and not carry my banjo well how was it i mean i just asked about woody like how was it working with him i mean i'm only asking about him because he's kind of a complicated fellow and i uh i love his movies but like any any impressions was he easy to work with like what was that like I found him easy to work with. He's a very guarded. All, all the things that you've learned about him are basically true. He's very uh, sort of reclusive to people and so on. He was very easy. He was um, uh, in doing his own thing in his own bubble most of the time. And, uh, uh, and I really appreciated his playing. I, I know some of the New York jazz musicians will kind of roll their eyes at his clarinet playing, but one of the things that I loved about his playing was his unabashed, soulful heart connection. I mean, super. he's a super overachiever and, you know, making movies like one a year. I mean, it's like, what can you expect, you know, from this guy, you know? Jesus. All right, yeah, I wanted to listen to some of your music and... um speaking of music here and i thought we could listen to a tune off of this album that you have it's like a a large album it's called cynthia the jazz banjo of cynthia sayer hey that's you volume one. First albums <laughs> and it's just like a huge like compilation of all these not compilation but a huge uh, amount of t jazz tunes it's awesome and i really i just kind of dove into that this week and um i thought we could listen to the blues my naughty sweetie gives to me um, yeah, and then talk about it for a second. How's that sound? Sure. Okay, here we go. Thank you. 
right. That is so good. I mean, it's just so powerful. It's just like, that's the kind of tune I would want to play with you. Like, it makes me want to play that tune with you, like on five string, four string. It's so exciting. Um, yeah. And I mean, your playing is so good. It's it's just like wild. There's like this energy to it. I, I absolutely love that tune. Um, and then you you end up singing in it uh, later on too, like further, further into the tune. And um yeah, it, this whole album, you, you're kind of like diving into this, just like, what what would you call this? Just like swing jazz? What? I'm sorry if I don't know the... Well, on, on those albums, I did some ragtime and, uh, and most mm. of it is, yeah, swing. I play basically swing style banjo. That's the core of my, my playing. And, and I would be remiss for this, uh, podcast if I didn't mention the primary inspiration uh, was an historic uh, jazz banjoist named Elmer Snowden and if anyone wants to listen to the most amazing swing banjo they've ever heard they should listen to his album called Harlem Banjo and uh, Elmer Snowden has a very interesting history uh, and uh, this is he was he was a very well-known uh, player in the 1920s and here in New York and um, when I heard hit him play on that album that I was floored I had never heard banjo played like that before I had never heard this driving swing and mm. and I was like I didn't understand that the banjo could be such a powerful swinging jazz instrument and when I heard that album I was like I want to learn how to do that that like that was it that was it for me when I heard that album and uh, and that started me down the road of playing jazz which I was very late I mean I didn't hear I was in my earlier mid-20s when I first heard it I was playing banjo sing-along parlors and, you know, what used to be called uh, Dixieland bands and, you know, kind of, there was always a corny edge, there was always a theatrical edge. I hadn't, and, and even though there were some very fine players in my world, still it took that album for me to really hear the banjo with, with such integrity and swing as just this true jazz instrument that just crossed into it for me and so um that's and these albums you know for anyone who are jazz buffs i mean some of the people on these albums are huge jazz stars it was a big honor for me to work with every one of them uh, which was arranged by the record company. And I, I was like, you know, I worked with Dick Wellstead and Bucky Pizzarelli and Milt Hinton. Oh my God. I mean, this was a quite a, quite an honor for me. And, um, and I really wanted to do my best. So I wrote these arrangements. All these are all my arrangements. And, and, uh, this tune blues, my naughty sweetie gives to me is it's a basic, I don't know. I still love playing it. It's a standard hot jazz repertoire piece. And it's fun. It's a yeah. fun, swingy piece. Yeah, no, I love it. It's great. <clears throat> um, so, yeah, I want to kind of compare that to another track uh, from a different album, your Joyride album. And we'll just take a listen to that. And this one's called 
probably going to say this wrong. I take Spanish lessons, but I'm probably going to say it wrong. I guess it's irresistible. El irresistible. Oh my gosh, I hope my Spanish teacher is not listening to this. Um, okay, uh, yeah, let's take a listen to that, and then we'll chat some more. Here we go. such a cool interesting like crossover sound to that that tune it's this a tango like, it actually is a tango, a tango and and um there's a a piece that i often do in concert called el choclo el choclo i have to say that pr- correctly as well um and um i fell in love with tango music i i am certainly no expert in it but I listened to a lot of it I decided I loved it and uh, there are some tango pieces that became um, basics in jazz uh, that were converted like there's a there's a bridge between the two there's a relationship between tango and jazz where uh, there are tango jazz groups out there and um, I don't know I just it's just a piece that I I bought a book of tangos and I said, oh, I like this one. And I decided to record it, but it's, um, it's one of my ventures into um, connecting to other genres. So I know we're kind of running out of time, but um, I wanted to say like something about what I, that I love that you do. And I, I think it's a key to your success. If I can be so bold to say like what, (laughs) your keys to success are but I feel like you have like real clarity of what you want to do with your instrument what how you want to perform who you want to perform for like I was kind of saying this up top when I was introing you I I just feel like when you have a vision of what you want it's very powerful and I feel like you have this vision you have a direction and you followed it and you followed it through and to me that's very inspiring and it's um and that's what it takes, I think, to like kind of make it in the music business, you know. I feel like so often I'm in this kind of spiral as like a musician where I take little gigs. Like, I'm, you know, I take almost, I, I look at everything that gets offered to me and I take a lot of it. And, you know, and sometimes I'm playing with pumpkins and hay bales for like Halloween, you know, like, and I'm taking these little gigs and I think to myself, should I be taking these gigs? Like, or, or like how do I and then I get big gigs too you know but it's like I know some of your very big <laughs> gigs <laughs> but it's also like the I feel like the vision you have to say like you you have like a path where I feel like you've really targeted like how to how to I don't know kind of the path that you wanted to make for yourself and I think that's very cool and it seems very clear I'm sure it's you know messy in your own head but uh I'm, head, I'm but, really uh, glad that it appears that way <laughs> I mean, honestly, um, you know, I mean, I'm sure everybody knows the saying about 
you know, just perseverance, how very, very important mm. that is. Um, I have felt, I've always known what I like musically. I've always known who I want to work with when I hear someone, I'll go, I want to work with them. Or, oh, they're wonderful, but I don't know, somehow I want to work with them, not them. You know, like, I don't know, yeah. you know, what, I don't know what those things are. But um, I think if I'm going to take a look at my career, I think a lot of it is, has to do with perseverance and also just, I don't know, life unfolds in the strangest ways and staying open to it and following your heart. Um, I think it's very, very important to, to um, like find what makes you happy when you're playing. And as far as little gigs and big gigs, I, I don't really care much if a, I mean, I care if I have big gigs because they help me pay my mortgage, you know, and things like that. Yeah. And, and of course, that helps your stature with your career so you can get more of them and things like that. But to me, it's all about uh, who I get to play with and mm. uh, whether it's a reasonable circumstance in some way. And um, I don't, I mean, that's pretty much what it always is. I take little gigs. Uh, I love being a side player. Uh, I don't get hired enough as a side player because I'm established as a band leader and I love it when I don't have to bother with anything and I can just sit there and play <laughs> and someone else can worry about everything. And uh, I, I've, I play, uh, I don't know. I'm not a snob about jobs and I do mm. understand that, that career management matters and, mm -hmm. and there are aspects of that which are worth paying attention to, but maybe the bottom line is to just make sure you're in musical situations that excite you, whatever the platform, whatever the pay and whatever, and do your best to find those and yet be open to all the others because a lot of it is, is the company you keep, I think, yeah. um, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I well, I think I think that's great uh, advice. It's kind of like knowing yourself, knowing when you're enjoying the music you're making and and the people you're with and sometimes we block that stuff out or you just you're j like you're seeing something else and not really feeling how you feel, you know? And I think that's great advice. I've really I knowing. remember being a side player in a band that I came to dislike. And finally, one season, they didn't hire me again because I didn't have the common sense to just stop, <laughs> you know. And I yeah. also remember a time when uh, I'm sure I sat there playing with with an attitude of I didn't want to be there. I was I was felt I was always very professional and I would always show up and I'd always do my best. But you know, I mean. You can still tell if someone would rather not be there, you know, I mean, and most yeah. anybody can tell. And, and I liked all the guys, you know, but I still was like, Ugh. I wanted to um, feel like there was some, um, there was some, like, there was some substance that was fulfilling to me, whatever the circumstances were. 
and you know when you play in a rhythm section in jazz and maybe it's the same in bluegrass i don't know enough about it um you can kind of be you can there's an art to a good rhythm section which can be very very fulfilling and a wonderful thing to do when done poorly it can also be like you're the doormat that everybody uses to 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 support them while they get to do the solos and things i mean I don't know if I'm articulating this very well, but it all has to do with the quality of the company that you keep. Because being mm -hmm. in a good rhythm section is one of the most exciting things in the world to me, whether I solo or not. And being in a poor one is one of the most torturous things to me. And yeah. um, so that's, you know, I guess I guess by default I've kind of leaned towards you know trying to go after what made me happy <laughs> there you go that's the takeaway that's awesome well i'm happy that you've been my company here on the banjo chat i really appreciate it thank you for being a guest um i'm gonna say everybody should go to cynthiasayer.bandcamp.com and listen to some of these albums pick up some of these albums Come on, that's how you that's how you buy the music. Go to Bandcamp. Um, you can go check out uh, Cynthia's website, uh, Cynthia-Sayer.squarespace.com. Uh, no, it's just uh, Cynthia-Sayer.com. It's just my name.com. Oh, perfect, perfect. Yeah, I guess I I copied and pasted it weird. Um, but that's Cynthia C Y N T H I A S A Y E R Cynthia Sayer. Um, all right, well. And I just wanted to mention one more thing, you know, one of the things that I've, and, and uh, I, know, I know we have to wind up, but um, I think a lot of um, people who are interested in banjo, whether it's five string, whether it's four string, whatever genre, whatever, um, you know, there's some wonderful teachers out there and, and um, uh, I've been teaching four-string banjo for a long time, but there are other people, and uh, I know, Hillary, you teach, and it's a way to keep banjo going and to keep live music going is to show up and support whatever you like. So uh, I really appreciate you mentioning those things, and, and I would like to put in a plug also for Hillary in the same regard because you're, you're out there Broadway shows and concerts and all kinds of stuff along with those haystacks. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Let's get everybody playing the banjo. I mean, that's I guess basically what it comes choir. down to. Or at least wish you could play it and come and see us. So, yes, yeah. Well, if you want to uh, reach out to us, you can email us uh, questions or comments, or if you need banjo recommendations, at uh, email us at banjochatpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, thanks for listening, everybody. You can follow us on Instagram at banjochat as well. So, hope to hear from you soon, and we'll see you next time. Goodbye. Bye. Thank you. If you'd like to support the Banjo Chat podcast, all you got to do is help it along with a little like, a little subscribe, and a little review, and that'll help boost it a little bit so I can keep making these for you. Thanks so much.